Welcome to the Pod 20. I'm Graham Mack, and my guest this week is the multi award winning comedian, writer, and broadcaster John Holmes. You've heard him on Virgin Radio, XFM, Six Music, LBC, Talk Radio, and Five Live. He does a couple of podcasts. There's The Skewer, which won silver at the British Podcast Awards, and gold at the New York Festivals Awards, and The The One Show Show. Hello, I'm John Holmes. It's The The One Show Show, the podcast that climbs into bed with TV's The One Show and does a shit, just like, off the top of my head, an actress in a relationship with Johnny Depp. John Holmes will be here soon. He'll be talking about a lot of stuff, including where his career went after he was sacked by Virgin Radio because of a feature called Swearing Radio Hangman for the Under-12s. Sam Walker from Sam Walker's Desert Diaries is on the show. She'll talk about how she went from being a radio presenter part-time to hosting a show on BBC Radio 5 Live. And the Hollywood scriptwriter Ken Levine will be on to tell us about growing up in Los Angeles in the 1960s. I'll be counting down the top 20 podcasts based on downloads and your recommendations at thepodcastradio.co.uk. But first a message... If you're one of the young people who got your A-level results this week and they weren't what you hoped for, look, it's not the end of the world. It just means there's a fair chance that you'll end up in a career that involves repeating one of these two phrases. Would you like fries with that? Or the UK's number one hit music station. The Pod 20 is heard on Podcast Radio, on DAB in London, the home counties, Manchester and Glasgow. On demand in the USA at talkers.com, around the world on multiple platforms and as a podcast itself. Into the chart now and at number 20, it's the Total Football Show with James Richardson. 19, You're Dead to Me, the history podcast for people who don't like history. At 18, The Skewer, which won silver at the British Podcast Awards and gold at the New York Festivals Awards. The podcast features John Holmes, who is my special guest this week. John, in 2002, you were sacked by Virgin Radio because of an on-air game called Swearing Radio Hangman for the under-12s. But you were still doing a lot of other work, including stuff at Radio 4. Radio 4's not live radio, you know. If he says that, we can cut that out, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's about 16 people going to listen to it before it goes out. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that was um, so that well, that was fine. So I was kind of still doing all of that. Uh, and indeed, I think around that time... Well, what... I'm trying to just remember the, or, the, the order of things, really. Because around that time, I'd, I'd either done or was doing the 11 o'clock show on Channel 4. Yeah. Um, so I was sort of doing telly as well. Were you I doing think. that at the same time as Ian Lee? No, I took over when Ian left. Okay. So, so what happened was, uh, there was a, a series... So, I, yeah, so I was working at... So I almost had sort of twin prongs going on. I had commercial radio stuff, presenting, and writing and a bit of performing over on Radio 4. And a couple of Radio 4 producers were, while I was at Radio 4, were going to go and take over the production of the 11 o'clock show, which had then run for four series on Channel 4 with Ian Lee, Daisy Donovan, Ricky Gervais, of course, yeah. uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. And... They were going to do uh, series five. So they said to me, would you like, Ricky, I think was leaving to do his chat show that he had on channel four. Um, and, and Sasha, I think was going off, you know, to do an Ali G film by then or something. <laughs> and they said, do you want to come in and be the new um, guy who does a thing? One of the guy, one of the people who does a thing in the studio, you know, like Ricky had done or whatever. 
um, possibly off the back of swearing hangman. I, can't, I genuinely can't remember the, the, the order of events, but um, I sort of said, well, yeah, of course. Yeah, great. So, so I went in and I had a slot to do on series five which was a sort of fake gig guide we come up with this notion of a fake gig guide of made up bands and but topic it was all based on news-based bands it was a load of nonsense but then midway through sort of the rehearsals ian lee quit so i think what they did was more or less sort of look around the room throw a dart and go you you're presenting the whole show now come on um I was what? What? So I found myself from going from, you know, a little studio-based item to fronting the entire series um, every night of the week on Channel 4 like, as live. So that was a baptism of fire. But a, but a great, again, another brilliant bit of learning curve, you know, from radio to telly. And I think that's been the key to your survival is the fact that you've had so many different things going on so that if you lose one, you haven't lost everything. And, yeah. and I, was, I was told years ago, you know, in, in, in radio, you're supposed to have three independent sources of income because radio is so insecure and a mate of mine paul burrell not the uh, not the butler a different guy he, he's <laughs> had that paul burrell the butler had several strings of, of course he did yes he did <laughs> yeah so okay so maybe but this other paul burrell the namesake he had three sources of income completely independent and he looked like he was set he worked for me when I was running Fix Radio. He had a sports show in the middle of the day. Yeah. He had he was the ground announcer at Arsenal, and he also hosted live events in pubs. We so had com three completely different sources of income. And then along comes COVID. There's no football. There's nobody going to <laughs> pubs, and there's no sport to talk about. So, and he lost all three in one go, yeah, yeah. like yeah, the yeah, same yeah. week. So yeah. yeah. Well, that's the trouble with relating that, you know, so I, I, you could argue, you should say, well, I can, I can, you know, I run a production company now, so I've got a, an independent production company, we make programs for radio, uh, and, uh, and there's radio presenting, and also travel writing, yes. all three of which got smashed to bits by COVID. <laughs> Same so, thing. yeah, Same I, thing. I, I feel that pain. Yeah. 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 So are you on speaking terms with Dermot O'Leary these days? <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, there was an incident there. Did that get you fired? Well, no, that was during that one hour I was allowed on XFM. Because of this late night one hour slot, the new boss said I could do just to make me leave the building. Um, what happened was, I, they sort of said, well, you, you know, yeah, do an hour in the middle of the night. Call it a demo. But he said, do an hour on XFM. And I thought, well, at least I'll put XFM on my CV if I do. Yeah. yeah so yeah. why not? So I, so I did. But the problem with that, because I was just ushered in, do it, go away. I had no pass for the building. No one was in the building. The studios of XFM at the time, when the door shut behind you, you couldn't get out without a pass. You couldn't get into the office. You couldn't get beyond the office. Yeah. Out where the toilets, crucially, were. Yeah. And there was no one there and no one had given me a pass. And I needed the loo during, you know, one of the records. So I got, well, what now? What am I going to do? So I, for those who don't know the story, I didn't piss on Dermot O'Leary. That would be awful. <laughs> um, it, was, it was just his desk drawer. So um, You went but, in his desk drawer? Well, that's how the story goes, Graham. I don't know whether that's got slightly... Um, exaggerated over the year i mean i couldn't you know i could it's a hazy memory <laughs> <laughs> my
More from John Holmes soon when we'll talk about some of the stuff that got him fired from radio stations. It's the Pod 20, the definitive countdown of the top 20 podcasts based on downloads and your recommendations at thepodcastradio.co.uk. At number 17, the Joe Wicks podcast. At 16, the Jordan B. Peterson podcast. The intellectual phenomenon Jordan B. Peterson with his daughter, Michaela. At 15, Sam Walker's Desert Diaries. The X5 Live presenter Sam Walker talks about her new life in Arizona. Sam, before you moved to America, you'd gone from doing part-time radio to national network broadcasting on the BBC. How did that happen? It's madness. I don't I mean it and it happened in a I mean I didn't do this till I was 30. Yeah. It did all happen really, really quickly. You were, what, you were 30 when you were working in the in the station? I was just shy of my 30th birthday. I was 30 I in was the I was 27 when I got into radio, so I, and I felt like I yeah. left it late. Well, I've, exactly, and I was meeting people who were 30, who'd been in it 12 years, and I was thinking, what? Yeah. And um, so it was kind of crazy. And so I, I worked at Thames on a 7.8. Uh, I lost my job in PR because I kept, I was so tired because I was getting up at 4 a.m. and having right, to walk yeah. and, you know, so I, I lost that job. The radio station got bought and turned into what is now Radio Jackie. Rick left and went off to be amazing in America. Uh, I did a few shows on there and I got a Saturday show. So I started to do a solo show, which I found really exciting. And then very long story short, um, I talked to juice 107.2 in brighton yeah. and i ended up moving to juice in brighton and earning a bit of money not huge amounts but a bit so that i could um rent a house um which was great my now husband who i'd met during that first year of being on radio um had gone to live on a desert island in the middle of the south pacific hello <laughs> for over six months so i he he'd kind of just moved in 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 london when i had moved to camden and i phoned him and went just to let you know when you come back from your desert island we live in brighton now so he was like okay and so he was a scientist he's a research scientist so uh we moved to juice in brighton where i had an amazing amazing 18 months where I ended up being PC of, of Juice and I did the drive show and my poor liver, oh, I don't know how I got through that because being the little, you know, a, a big fish in a little pond and you know how many bars and clubs there are in Brighton and there's always yeah. something opening. You're always invited to some gig and it was amazing. It was the most brilliant, wonderful time. And I just got to the stage where I was like, I kind of feel I've done it. And I, again, I just wanted something to feel something bigger. And I sent three demos. Someone got in touch with me. That was it. And said, oh, I'm a radio producer in Manchester. And I was in Brighton for the weekend. And I just thought you were really good. And I wanted to tell you that. And I thought, that's really nice of someone to do that. No one needs to do that. Yeah. And it just made me think, Manchester, Manchester, Manchester. And so I sent two demos. I sent a demo to Key 103. And I sent a demo to Radio Air. Radio Air never replied. (laughs) Key 103 said, come and meet me. And so I got on the train to Manchester. And they offered me a job and I went, okay. And I came home and said to my husband, well, he was still my boyfriend at that point. I went, should we move to Manchester? (laughs) (laughs) And he said, okay. So again, the support, having the support of people, so, so, so important. And so we moved to Manchester and I worked for Key 103 for a year. I hated it. I left 
And I was sitting at home just before I was about to leave going, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do? I don't know what to do. And the phone rang and this voice said, hello, I'm John Ryan and I'm the editor of BBC Radio Manchester. And I said, what? (laughs) And knowing John as I do now, I heard him sigh and go, I said, my name is John Ryan and I'm the editor of BBC Radio Manchester. So I went and did a demo for them thinking, I can't believe the BBC have rung me, the BBC, and went and did a demo and they went, very nice, no thank you. And so I went, oh, oh. And then three weeks later or whatever it was, I left Key 103 and I just dropped them online and went, just to let you know, I've actually left Key 103 now. And they went, come and talk to us. So they'd gone from saying, no, thank you, to, okay, let's talk. And, um, and that was it. I started working for, for them. In the meantime, I'd gone off, oh, gosh, anyway, blah. I then did a, other things on commercial radio in the meantime. But that was the start of my work at the BBC. And, um, and lots of people just used to come up to me and say, you should be on Five Live. You should be on Five Live. And I didn't really know what Five Live was. And I was like, okay. And it was really nice that people said that, but I didn't know how to do it or or how to get there or anything again. I didn't know and what to was do. Was Five Live in Manchester then? Or was it, no, was it, it was in London. It was in London then, yes. Yeah, so then yeah. there was the radio festival in Lowry and I went yeah. to a talk and Jonathan Wall was there. Yeah. And he was the commissioning editor at the time of Five Live and I went, guy, Five Live. Wall. Yeah. So I went up to him at the end and went, give me a job on your station. And he said, I've heard of you. People keep mentioning your name to me. And I went, oh, do they? Blimey. Oh, okay. And then it was probably a good year of me hassling him and hassling him and hassling him and sending him demos and him saying, back off, um, that I was seven months pregnant and they'd moved to Manchester at this. No, they hadn't. No, they were about to move though. They were still in London. I was seven months pregnant. He said, can I have, can I have a chat with you? So I walked into this bar, enormous, and he said, um, I've got a job. do you want a job? And that's when I'd started the Sunday. So it, my daughter was six weeks old and I would get on a train on a Saturday afternoon crying because my baby was six weeks old and I was insane. Uh, get on a train crying, cry all the way to London, trying to read the notes, stay in a hotel overnight, get up at six, go into the radio station, a complete mess, present a show get back on a train, come home crying. And I did that for about six months until they moved to Manchester, by which stage I was a little bit more stable hormonally. So it was a bit better. But um, again, it was a case of seeing an opportunity and just going, oh, I'll just do it. I'll work it out. I'll work out how to do it. It's fine. And I do remember Jono saying to me, you sure you want to do this? You would have just had a baby. And I was like, yep, 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 yep. No problem. No problem. Um, In Australia, they have a great expression, which I always remember. And they say, if you want to get on in life, you've got to bite off more than you can chew and then chew like baggery. And <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Sam Walker's Desert Diaries is at number 15 this week. At 14, call her daddy. Alex Cooper and the daddy gang exploit the details of their lives, making you feel a hell of a lot better about yours. At 13, the missing crypto queen, the true story of a doctor who persuaded millions to join her financial revolution. Then she disappeared. At 12, the The One Show Show. John Holmes is joined by a special guest to review the past seven days of the BBC's flagship fluff fest, 
The One Show. John is my special guest this week. John, I first became aware of you in 2002 when you were sacked from Virgin Radio for the on-air competition swearing Radio Hangman for the under-12s. Was that your first major firing? Um, it was certainly the most high-profile firing. Um, I think I'd been fired a couple of times before that. Um, I'm just trying to think of the timeline. Yeah, I think the first firing war wasn't that dramatic. It was my, my first radio job. I was on a, on a small station in Kent from launch. Uh, and then they, we got, there was, there was a bit of trouble around the fact that, well, for instance, you know, we, we like to get involved in the local issues, Graham. And one of them was that they were closing the local A&E hospital and, and saying that anyone who had an accident or emergency had to travel to Ashford, which was quite a way away at the time. Well, it still is. I mean, they haven't dragged it nearer. It's still where it is, to be clear. But, but the, and that, so one of, in the local paper, the headlines were, you know, uh, boss, hotel, hotel, NHS bosses say that uh, if you're injured, you must go to Ashford, you know, uh, on a bus. If you can't, you know, you could. Uh, so we were sort of on air. So they said, well, what are we doing? If your legs come off, you're not going to get on a bus. After waiting at the stop and making sure and trying yeah. to get the timetable on the. Yeah. What is yeah. this nonsense? So what we did, we, we, we my co-presenter, we put him on a bus on the phone. Um, and we, but we let a fake blood all over his leg. Uh, and the idea was that he was trying to persuade the driver to take him to Ashford Hospital because his leg was coming off. Uh, and that generated a few negative headlines shall we say but why that highlights a real issue in the community as was our boss's defense at the time and that one was okay you know that was fine but the local paper sort of sort of well the nhs moaned about it quite a lot as far as i remember um the, uh, and we then so we did that and then then it, the, the boss left and a new boss came in and as often happens he really didn't get what we were doing at all and and just sort of spent more of his time working out where to put the vending machine in the office than he did about the programming so uh and, and it was i remember once he came in to tell us off live on air okay well i mean the mics were live okay so we were saying something he didn't approve of and i think it was something to do with the, the strap line of the station he changed the strap line of the station which we hated and he decided the station should have the strap line kent's best party i mean so we pointed we were in the middle of pointing out that, that the radio station wasn't kent's best party at all kent's best party was in a crack house in a certain area of canterbury you said this yes obviously and so he came in to stop this link happening but in, but on it but while the mics were live yeah. so he stood in the corner of the studio just switching the lights on and off just like that for ages and we were just speaking looking at him what are you doing and he was just doing that and that was it but he it, he just got rid he got rid of us graham to be honest and from there i went to um where do we go next uh power fm down in southampton southampton yeah uh which was great i mean uh, a guy called clive dickens who was in then in charge of the capital group which was owned then by the um it was owned by the capital group at the time so he he said look you know you guys we won an award on that station that little station so uh, like a best new presenter thing so he said do you want to come and work for the capital group and we of course thought what capital breakfast then and yeah. he went no in london power, yeah. power fm in southampton we're all like whatever <laughs> he so did the same we to me and i ended up at brnb in birmingham but it was there you go there you go yeah, he did exactly yeah. the same to me yeah <laughs> the carrot and stick um uh, and so we went down there and did sunday evenings and i think that ended did when well I th as i recall what we did a game called 
Actually, I don't even know how to name, but what you had to do was you had to, as a listener, you had to go around to your uh, neighbor's house, put something through the letterbox, and then on, on air, but on the phone to us, and then you would, your time would start the moment you rang the doorbell. And the idea was to get that item back as quickly as you could from the, uh, from the neighbor who answered the door. Right. So you had people sort of going, right, really weird stuff. So for instance, somebody would go, I don't know, ring the doorbell, someone would come to the door, you'd hear all this, of course, and go, excuse me, I've accidentally dropped my hammer with some soil sellotaped to it through your letterbox, can I have it back? And we time how long that conversation went, and of course how it went, and, and how long it took to get them back, and the winner won a CD or whatever. Um, it all went a bit wrong when someone put a live squirrel through someone's letterbox. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I think it destroyed, destroyed the hall. Um, so the radio station um, didn't... Well, the radio station, I think, as always happens with these things, the, the boss thinks it's funny, but can't be seen to think it's funny. Yeah. So it has to take appropriate action. Yeah. So... So I think we left there and Clive went, I think, I think you might be ready. To we won a Sony that, for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Imagine that. Um, so Clive, I think you're ready to come to London. Um, so we said, all right. And then Clive left. <laughs> so yeah. as always happens again, the boss who hires you, left, you go to the place you think you're going. And then the new boss goes, no, 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 no. That was his gig. He's gone. Not yeah. you. So that was the, that was that. That would have been XFM, would it? Is that what? That was XFM. Yeah. But the first time I was on, I was on XFM, which was for one hour only in the middle of the night, because that new boss said, "Well, that was Clive's deal. I've cancelled that deal. So, um, but as you're standing outside the door, why don't you do an hour tonight?" And that was it. That was all I got. Radio is a strange world, John. Coming up, John will tell us all about his podcast, The The One Show Show, which is at number 12 this week. At 11, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition, from Comedy Central's Podcast Network. At 10, Desert Island Discs. This week's castaway is Maria Balshaw, the director of Tate. At nine, Hollywood and Levine, from the Hollywood scriptwriter and director Ken Levine. Ken, tell us about what it was like growing up in Southern California in the 1960s. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles. I grew up in the 60s, the very turbulent 60s. And that was a wild, interesting time to grow up here because... Well, first of all, being part of the baby boomer generation, 76 million of us, and everyone catered to us. All of the TV shows, the radio, the music, the advertising, everything catered to us. And it was a, a period of, in California, the whole California dream where everybody's out surfing and we're all at the beach. And, and then came the mid-60s and great music and the Sunset Strip. And like I said, it was just a great time to uh, grow up in Los Angeles if it weren't for the Vietnam War or the fact that I was miserable in high school, it would have just been idyllic. So what did you want to be when you left school? Well, I didn't know for sure, but I knew a couple of things. Number one, you know, I noticed in school you had to take all of these required courses like math and history and English and science and all these courses that you hated. And then you could take like one elective. 
maybe art or music or drama, whatever that was, you could take one fun elective. And I thought to myself, you know, when I get out in the real world and I have to pick a job for myself, why not pick an elective? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I knew I wanted to do that. Uh, and then there were like a couple of areas. Uh, from the time I was eight years old, I wanted to be a Major League Baseball announcer. And also, I, I saw the Dick Van Dyke show, which came on in the early 60s. And it was a revelation to me, because here I was, this nerdy kid, and I was kind of funny. That was really sort of the only thing I had going for myself. And here suddenly is this show where this gorgeous girl, Laura Petrie, is married to a comedy writer. And I thought, wow, you mean I could get a Laura Petrie without having to throw a football? This is fantastic. So I always figured, find a way of doing comedy somewhere. And initially, I got into radio. I was very big into radio. I was a uh, top 40 disc jockey, spinning the hits. You mentioned um, your crush on Laura Petrie, played by Mary Tyler Moore. You worked for MTM at one stage. I don't think you worked on the Mary Tyler Moore show, but you did... You did work for... We created, my partner David Isaacs and I created a comeback series for her in 1985 called Mary. And uh, it was uh, a rugged experience. Really? Why? Uh, Well, Mary was going through a real transition in her life. And I think she kind of got talked into doing a TV series. and, And I don't think... That's really where her head was at. And so we, we kind of struggled a little bit. We got great reviews and we got decent ratings. Part of the problem is the pilot came out really well. So well that CBS thought this is going to be our answer to Cosby. And so they were telling Mary that when this show premieres, it's going to get 40 shares which is insane. And when the show premiered to only a 26 share, and we were up against like the number one show in the country at the time, and we still got a 26 share, Mary was very disheartened from that. And, you know, unrealistic expectations. But again, I'm very proud of that show. I posted a few episodes up on YouTube, if anybody wants to see them. And uh, we discovered Katie Seagal. We gave Katie Seagal her first job in television. And we had James Ferentino, who was terrific. John Aston, who was hilarious. So um, the show lasted only one year, but I'm very proud of it. Was it at that time that Mary Tyler Moore came round for dinner at your place and revealed a story about the old Dick Van Dyke show when there were single beds in the, on the set? Yes. Well, we had Mary over for dinner one night, and my wife was in the kitchen preparing hors d'oeuvres and getting the wine ready, and I'm just sitting in the living room with Mary. Uh, and Dick Van Dyke's character was called Rob, we should say. Right. It was Rob and Laura Petrie. And Mary talked about how, in those days, CBS required that they had separate twin beds. 
and she says to me, and again, you have to imagine this is Mary Tyler Moore, so it's coming out of Laura Petrie's mouth. It's her voice going, well, when am I going to fuck Rob? (laughs) (laughs) So that was sort of a surreal moment. (laughs) I bet. I bet it was. Yeah. Ken Levine will be back next week to tell us all about his podcast, Hollywood and Levine, which is at number nine this week. At number eight, today in focus from The Guardian, the podcast that brings you closer to Guardian journalism, combining personal storytelling with insightful analysis. At seven, Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe's Lockdown Parenting Hell. It's parenting just not as you know it. Back to the chart in a bit. Right now, let's check in with this week's special guest. It's John Holmes. John, tell me about your podcast then, The The One Show Show. Let me give you the very, very briefly the backstory of The The One Show Show. So I have just about lost my job on a radio station called Talk Radio. Right. And uh, this is going back a couple of years. And I'm thinking, okay, so what what now because because basically the news uk had taken talk radio over yeah. and the the rock and roll um let's put a rocket up talk radio as a genre and you can come in and do your thing and just pull it apart a bit and it'll be great went out the window when rupert murdoch bought it and they decided they wanted a sort of slightly right-wing news station and i didn't really fit that so they were like but neither did i I don't even know if the audience wanted that because didn't you have the highest numbers on that station we did certainly for a couple of rage hours yeah absolutely yeah um uh, and but that's hey great the listeners aren't important (laughs) it's what the boss wants remember that right you've done this long enough to know this yeah um so so yeah so i was in the pub afterwards you know, after one of the, like, the final shows, and was thinking, well, you know, I might get one of these newfangled podcasts that I've heard about. And so I was thinking, well, what would it be? I mean, nobody needs another podcast of somebody interviewing somebody. No <laughs> offence. <laughs> <laughs> okay. but, but you are right. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> I thought, what? what? So the worthy podcasts are those that... Um, review worthy television right so at, the mo- at that point there was a glut of fan podcasts about game of thrones and the yeah. west wing and walking yeah. dead where yeah. where fans and hosts would analyze each episode with the minutiae you know they'd rip they'd take it to bits and just go look look at how the characters interact look at how it all works and they just really go deep and i thought what's the tv show that least deserves that amount of analysis and the answer is tv's the one show <laughs> And I sort of said it as a joke. And then I thought, well, actually, maybe there's something in that. And then in the cold light of, of morning, I sort of messaged Mark Haynes, who I do it with, who I'd had, who was in the pub at the time. And I said, I, I know the idea was funny in the pub, but it won't work. How could you do that? There's not going to be enough to talk about. And then it turned out we were very wrong uh, because it's, um, it's fascinating doing a deep dive on TV's shallowest programme. It's just brilliant. It's um, been asking for it. I mean, because it is just sometimes so embarrassing. They, like you mentioned yeah. Hollywood A-listers. They'll have the Hollywood A-listers sitting on the couch while they're doing an item about, you know, the Peregrine Falcon or something. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. And they'll just sort of go, well, you know, here's, here's your latest film. Here's this. And now, and now here's a film of some Pine Martins. <laughs> but within the film, there are no shots of any Pine Martins. <laughs> this is a recurring theme. 
<laughs> and so we, we are fascinated and we, we love to hate the one show, if you see what I mean. So we, we've been doing that now for ooh, two years or something, maybe slightly more. Um, and it's got quite the cult following. I mean, we, we right. sold out the London Podcast Festival when we did it live and stuff. Um, you know, we're aware that the, ca- the crew, certainly of the one show, are avid listeners great say. we've had various anonymous style messages from them um because we yeah we just take it apart and it's and it's a lot of fun I and mean, we have guests on doing that uh, we do force the guests to watch at least a couple of episodes obviously they have yes. to do that yeah. um that's the downside but yeah so that's the that's the sort of main uh if you like podcast that i do that's not connected to the radio although i've just started doing a travel um just one series of a travel podcast uh which is slightly more grown up and proper um but you are a successful award-winning travel writer as well it needs to be well so yes handily combining the two only two skills that i vaguely have um i've managed to sort of go well you know we could we could go and record a podcast abroad that would be nice so we've done that well we did that with big plans to do another one and then you know some virus happened and uh, really and kicked, kicked. i hadn't heard i don't know whether you're aware of that yeah this isn't acoustic padding this is <laughs> virus protection i've not been out of this this is a bunker <laughs> <laughs> this is your life now yeah it is it's funny a lot of funny people i spoke to dom jolly on this podcast and he's a, yeah. a, a travel writer as well and in fact he said that's his passion that's what he loves the most and then of course you got michael palin as well as probably the most famous one i think dom yeah. jolly hoped that michael palin would die i hope i'm not quite quoting him but just something along those lines well why do you I think mean, it is don jolly wants michael palin dead <laughs> yeah dear daily uh, mail um yeah. so what do you think it is then about people who are funny and travel well i do you know i don't know i get when you watch it on the telly you know you see various comedians with another comedian sort of you know doing a difficult road in china or something and i don't think that's necessarily the comedian's passion in those cases i think that's probably a production company going what'll sell to telly that te- a, a sort of road trip but if we get two comedians to do it regardless of their interest in it um it, you know they, they can be funny together and that's fine but you know it's not necessarily their passion i don't know i i've always i've always it's just escaping it's just getting away from everybody isn't it <laughs> and just be able to concentrate on one thing yeah without being bothered yeah the best i think that the my, my most enjoyable memory of um of a, of a trip was when i went to alaska and i spent a week in a, in a log cabin on my own no electricity just bears and and they and when i went in to this national park and you are you know you really are alaska really is the wilderness i mean it's they're not making that up um they give you some uh bear spray which is like a like pepper spray but for bears like fly spray but for bears remember what batman had to get sharks oh yeah anti anti bat shark repellent wasn't it yeah that's it yeah it's that but for but for grizzlies and they sort of say well if if there's a bear use that and you think if, if a bear is close enough for me to spray its eyes i'm fairly sure it's game over already there's no way that that's going to help so i had a great time i was just yeah i just um I just hung out in a log cabin on my own i went slightly mad but that, that was fine i'm glad it worked out for you john more from john holmes in a bit with all the details of the contest that made him famous for all the wrong reasons At number six on the chart this week, Revisionist History, Malcolm Gladwell journeys through the overlooked and misunderstood. At five, Freakonomics Radio, discover the hidden side of everything with Stephen J. Daubner, co-author of the Freakonomics books. So John Holmes, 
Let's go back in time to 2002. You were fired by Virgin Radio for running a radio contest called Swearing Radio Hangman for the Under-12s. For anyone that doesn't know, can you just run through how the game worked? Oh, it's a lot like the, the game Hangman. It, in it's fact, swearing exactly. Hangman for the Under-12s pretty much says what it doesn't turn, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the title, it's a classic example of the title says it all, yeah. So, so yeah, the idea was it was at midnight on a Friday, because I used to do midnight, uh, the late night, you know, 10 till 2, I think, actually, it was. Um, and the game was that, yeah, it was a game of Hangman, but with swear words, so, uh, but you had to be under 12 to play. So the listener, the parents, would get their kids up to play. I mean, it was a hugely popular game. I'm sure it was. <laughs> and kids would play, but the, the joy, if that's the right word, was of course, of, of you as a listener knowing full well what the swear word was way before the child. And yeah. so you're sort of going, oh, oh, is the child's going to say a swear word? And, you know, they're just spelling it out with a letter. And I was drawing the hangman at my end. So, yeah, that was, that, was the, that was the game, yeah. And then it just went. We had, we'd been doing it for six months or something, and then there was one complaint came in because an old lady heard it by accident and just... Well, in, in retrospect, probably rightly, went, well, that's a fe- that's not broadcastable, is it? To Ofcom or whatever. And, and, then and the Ofcom phrase was? To agree. Well, she, well the thing, she had a five-letter and a three-letter and a four-letter phrase. Um, and her parents were, were helping her. So you could hear her parents going, yeah, ask if, ask if there's a, an S, a S. And so nine-year-old Katie would go, yeah, yeah, is there a sir? Like, yeah, there is. It's the first letter of the first word. And uh, is, is there a T? Ask him if there's a T. Is there a T? Yes, there is. It's the, it's the first and last letter of the middle word that's got three letters. And on this went. And, and then in the end, she spelt out the phrase soapy. And so, you know, uh, that was, that, that's not great admittedly no. but then look at your face has all gone serious now but look but then uh, i said to her can you shout that as loud as you can uh, and she shouted soapy her parents cracked up laughing and i went this is deacon blue and pressed a right button. right and now, um the, the i think it was with, the juxtaposition of that and deacon blue that was the real problem. The, the thing with you mentioned you mentioned something in there that i think that's crucial that shows the absurdity of the way radio is regulated in this country is that it was one complaint from an old lady. So first of all, it was one complaint. Okay? And I maintain, if you get a thousand complaints, then maybe it should be worth looking at. But if you get one complaint, I've never complained to a broadcaster. If I don't like something, I turn it off. And I don't know anyone that has complained to a broadcaster, so I have to conclude that the only people that do complain to broadcasters have no friends. (laughs) <laughs> so someone with no friends is listening to a station that is not designed for them you said old lady it's one complaint and that was what seventy-five thousand pound fine well it was a hundred and fifty thousand pounds so it remains the record for the largest ever fine for taste and decency one complaint one complaint from someone who was and not in the target audience yeah yeah it's absurd it's absurd it it is absurd especially as the boss at the time was saying this is the best feature i've ever heard please keep doing it the moment the shit hit the fan of course he went i had no idea this maverick dj was doing that feature that's awful so i I mean i know who that boss was you don't have to name him if you don't want to okay fine i mean the thing is i like you know we got on really well till that happened 
Um, yeah, and even well, I, the I had afterwards. You know, he was I, I he was like, mate. You know, I'm sorry. Yeah, I uh, I had a similar experience with him. They didn't get to an Ofcom fine, but there was a, a particular feature which he loved. Then there was an in oh, I'll tell you what it was. I declared war on Germany. It was when <laughs> it was when. Um, I was on the air in Birmingham and yeah. BMW bought Rover and were threatening to close it down. It did close in the end. And I declared war on Germany and had, uh, we, we were boycotting anything German. So uh, takeaway bars were ringing up saying they've changed the name of hamburgers to Brumburgers. And, and this is how we did it. I ended up ringing the head office at BMW and a bloke told me how to swear in German. And I said some words. And it was all going great until it was at the time when Capital had these awful things called the Radio Cafe. Remember Eat at I, I recall them, yeah. yeah. And apparently a German was in the radio cafe and was abused by some listeners. And it all, well, all went horribly wrong. And yes, this, this say, they, they turned very quickly from it being the greatest thing and yeah, giving you that don't out of the office and all that from being yeah. like, nah, th this is not right. It's uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, they, 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 they sort of they play a very, very two-faced game. It was a big learning curve. Because that was years. I mean, it was like 20 years ago. Yeah. So it was a huge early learning curve in my career of, oh, wait a minute. People aren't quite what they seem, are they? They'll yeah. cover their backs. They won't back you up as soon as it goes. So I was. Ch so the, the reason you mentioned 75. So what happened was it was £150,000. And then Virgin, uh, we should point out, this isn't the current Virgin. This is the old, yeah. very different Virgin Radio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they cut a deal with the regulator to say if we just fire him uh it, can we halve the fine and they they agreed that's what they did oh i see okay all right that's that was what happened yeah they got the they got the fine down to 75 by being seen to take immediate action now did you go to radio x then from there no no i had a, 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 a tiny period in the wilderness there because right. it was sort of well say i'm saying that but I, but that it was kind of all of that was sort of a sideline because i was actually working at, at radio four i mean you know here i am the world's worst shock jock according to you know all the newspapers at the time i hadn't even told my parents my mum read about this in the independent so she went she was like have you um <laughs> Have you been fired from... Ah, uh, oh, yeah, I meant to tell you about that. Yeah, you know, because uh, it says here, there's your photo in the paper. It says you've got the highest... Fun. Yes, that did happen. Then, yeah. um, but at the same time, I'm on Radio 4. So it was this really weird juxtaposition of me being on a very respectable, intelligent speech network. Yes. And yet over here. So there was something... So I know there were conversations had behind the scenes between the boss of Radio Comedy and the then controller of Radio 4, or the then at least commissioning editor at Radio 4, about, um, is this what we want to be associated with? And he, to his credit, a guy called John Pigeon it was, who sadly is no longer with us, um, he really fought my corner at the, at, BB, at the BBC end and just said, no, this is nonsense. The, you know you know how radio works. And he sort of explained what had happened at Virgin behind the scenes, and that Radio 4 went, oh, yeah, yeah it's, it's fine, you know. So Radio 4 are fine with it, but Ofcom aren't. John Holmes, more from John on the way when we find out what podcasts John listens to. We're into the very top of the chart now. We're up to number four. David Tennant does a podcast. David's latest guest is Jim Parsons, who played Sheldon in The Big Bang Theory. And number three, the Joe Rogan experience. His guests this week are Joey Dyers and Brian Redpan. Joey is a Cuban-American stand-up comedian and actor, and Brian is a comedian and the founder of the Death Squad Podcast Network. Just before we get to the top two, John Holmes, what podcasts do you listen to? I, When my back's not injured, I like to run. So um, 
I do, most of my podcast listening is running while I run. So I, uh, I listened at the moment I've just finished and I recommend it. Uh, I think a wind of change. Are you aware of this wind of no. change? So the scorpions. Yes. Um, the song. Yeah, so yeah, it's got the song by the scorpion. So I was growing up, hence the motorhead thing. I was very into my heavy metal. Um, still am um, clinging vaguely onto my youth. Um, but the scorpions did a song called wind of change. Uh, in the early 90s. And there is a rumour that that song wasn't written by the Scorpions at all, but was written by the CIA in an attempt to bring about the changes in the USSR. Which indeed, that song was fairly, to use a, to coin a musical phrase, instrumental in doing, because uh, it was played by the youth of Russia at the time, and it did it, it helped the whole process. Winds of change, you know, yeah. followed the Moskva down to Gorky Park, listening to the wind of change, all of that. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and, there's no, and so this journalist uh, who was told this by someone in the CIA, a, mate, a friend of his, he has investigated whether or not that claim is true. And it leads him properly down the rabbit hole of that sort of era of rock involving Bon Jovi and a manager called Don McGee and Motley Crue and all this stuff. And it, and it, and it follows the story of whether or not the CIA could have written Wind of Change. I mean, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but let's say the CIA, it turns out, have a history of using of cultural warfare. It's not the first time they've done something similar. Wow. Um, going wow. back. And so the podcast is called Wind, Wind of, of Change. change. Yeah. Wind of Change. It's great. Bin I binged it. It's really good. Yeah. Okay. So that so currently that, um, uh, in terms of just you know long form, but I'm having to listen. I'm having to listen to a lot of crime podcasts at the moment because I'm I'm making a, a sort of spoof crime podcast. Right. Um, that's coming out uh, like early next year, uh, and we're just in sort of pre-production now. But so I'm listening to a lot of them because the style is you know of its own, and I want to get it right. So, so this is like true crime. Do you even include like serial in that? Uh, that's yeah. I did listen to Syria when it came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back back when that happened. Yeah, but there's a there's a lot of these things, um, uh, which which uh, yeah, which I sort of I kind of like the American podcast style because it's yeah. it's inadvertently funny because it's so earnest, and yeah. and also it makes you envious because when you listen to the credits at the end, there are fifty people <laughs> involved in the making of them. Yeah, and you that's go, American. How did you got... afford yeah. that? I make a podcast. It's just me and Mark. <laughs> and we don't get paid. How do you do that? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, and it's either not edited or edited by one or the other of you. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. what well, do you, you know? That you know what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> well, this one, yeah. So, um, what are you looking forward to, John? Um, uh, I'm looking for what am I looking forward to? I, well, I thought if you'd asked me that at the beginning of lockdown, I'd yeah. said I'm sort of looking forward to going back into London on a train and sort of, you know, because uh, I get a lot of work done on a train. It's sort of like a mobile office. But now I'm so used to not going anywhere. I'm sort of going, I quite like, I sort of like lockdown. I'm sort of, what I'm looking forward to, you know, I like, I like lockdown for not having to go to me. Yeah. So bugbear, right? Thank God for Zoom. Because before, yeah. sometimes I go to London, which would take two and a half hours, right? For a meeting that lasted 15 minutes and then go home again. I don't know what a waste of, I could have done that on the phone. But now what I'm hoping is, is that Zoom does become the norm. So yeah. someone went, do you want a meeting about that? You go, well, yeah, can we just do it from my tiny little cupboard? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I hope that, but, but, but as a travel writer, I, there are several trips I had cancelled um, that I'm desperate to go and do. Absolutely desperate to get out. And can you it. say where they are? One is Tennessee. 
Yeah. I love America. I yeah. love yeah. So I'm, I've got Whereabouts in Tennessee? Well, I'm going to go to the place where um Lynchburg because like if you ever go into London um, the tubes are full of posters advertising Jack Daniels. Yeah. Okay. And they're always black and white posters yeah. um, making Lynchburg, Tennessee, from where, from whence it comes, look idyllic. Yeah. And and look at our old town. And we've been doing it like this since before that. You know, whatever. And I I want to go and see whether Lynchburg is really like that, or whether it's just like that on the posters. So um i'm i have a commission to do it so uh but of course at the moment this all happened i, I had to cancel it uh, or postpone it so i'm going to go and and do that but use that as a base and then sort of road trip tennessee a bit so that was one i want to go there's a country called lesotho lesotho in south africa which is a land it's basically the closest you can get to wakanda out of black panther right and um and uh, and and no one goes there there's not there's no tourism there uh at all uh, so i want to go there and see what it's like that so that's a, a thing i've got planned um but yeah I'm just and i love flying i am desperate to get on a plane but i don't want to get on a plane with the new i don't mind the mask on the plane stuff but i do not want to be in an airport where the pub's not open i that is that is not going to happen that is a crucial part of what flying. else are you going to do at six o'clock in the morning exactly yeah um <laughs> So, uh, so I, I love the airport for, for, and the flying experience, and I don't, I don't want to go and not, not do that. I want to wander around Dixon's looking at things I don't need. That's what I want. <laughs> and adapters, yeah. Adapters I don't want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. John Holmes, it's been a pleasure talking to you in your, in your cupboard from, yeah. from my wardrobe. So the name of the podcast about The One Show, what's it called again? It's called The The One Show Show. Um, the one show show <laughs> the yeah. one show show yeah there's a huge back catalogue of stuff we've had some great people on uh jay rain jay rayner you know the, the 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 presenter and chef um he was a presenter on the one show he came on to our podcast because he'd heard it and loved it and quit his job on the one show on our podcast brilliant um, so what jane garvey's been on fee glover's been on yeah we've had some really really good people um uh come on you must come on the next oh, so we went we're back to. i'd love but to. you you will have to watch the thing but <laughs> if you can put up with that then you'd be very very welcome i've loved uh, can to, i just yeah. point out as well by the way this yes. um that x radio x muff yes there. yeah so when i went back to xfm proper um which so i did sort of six music in the middle of all this stuff and then got the job as doing the xfm breakfast show which remains my favorite ever gig by the way um and then Chris Moyle stole it. But uh, before I left, I did, I did steal them off. So that's pretty right. positive. That so that's your souvenir from your days at Radio That's all, it's all, it's all I've got left. <laughs> so surrounded by my awards and my muff, that's how I cry myself to sleep. Thanks, John. John Holmes will be back next week to talk about how political correctness has affected his work. The top two looks like this. At number two... Last week's number one, Shagged Married Annoyed from Chris and Rosie Ramsey, which means that there's a brand new number one this week. Straight in at the top of the chart. The Good, the Bad and the Rugby. The return of James Haskell, Mike Tyndall and Alex Payne in a brand new show with guests, insight, laughter and tears. That's it for episode 16 of the Pod 20. I'm Graham Mack, and thanks to this week's guest podcasters, John Holmes, Ken Levine, and Sam Walker. If you'd like to watch extended Zoom chats with all of my guests, check them out on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. 
Next week's guest is one of the stars of the movie that's taken lockdown by storm, Gemma Moore. The whole film takes place during lockdown on Zoom. Gemma, you're also in another film I saw you in the other night called Doom Annihilation. Oh, yeah. Which the, the film itself, you should have been the lead. Who, who played the lead in that? They should have switched those roles around because your bit, the bits you did were perfect and the rest of the film, it, it, for me, for me, did not live up to Gemma Moore's performance. I thought you deserved to be in a better vehicle there, Gemma. I thought, but, you know, my big disappointment was... Uh, and uh, this is a spoiler. Um, you you did actually die way too early for me. I think it was about forty five minutes in, so maybe about halfway in. Did did you know that going in that you're only going to get half a film here? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> you did. You <laughs> did. I was like, well, there's a whole theory, isn't there? It was a film theory that if you see a, someone die, you want to see more of them. So <laughs> I was like, great, let's just keep killing me, killing me. <laughs> Have you died in other stuff? Um, yeah, I died in a film called Dragon Kingdom. Uh, a film called Dragon Kingdom. So, and most things I um, seem to, without spoiling, die in. There was a TV series. I haven't died in that. That would be a bit brutal for the for the channel that it was on. But, <laughs> but yeah, but Doom, Doom was really fun. You know what? Doom was so much fun to film. There was. I remember the first day on set that I turned up actually. First of all, I'd managed to eat like raw chicken before I'd met anyone. And so I introduced myself being like, hi, I'm Gemma. Yeah, I've just eaten raw chicken um, in a sandwich. And so like, and everyone was like, oh, nice, nice to meet you. And then whisked away and given like an old AK-47 that was decked out in all this like space gear and being like, yeah, you're just going to walk around and, and uh, shoot this gun, which has like, uh, blanks in it but the blanks come out of like the heat that comes out of them goes about a meter from them so I'm just like I've eaten raw chicken bang 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 <laughs> walking around <laughs> I don't know who decided to give me that but and then and then going in and I and doing stunts and uh, Umma who uh, does the hobby class with me Umma Chadda Patel he actually had like jeans on and pink socks so between like that's how we met and we just like the friendship was there because I was like lol I've eaten real chicken. You've got like mixed socks, coloured socks, and we're running around like bumping into cardboard boxes, pretending we're in the military. Whereas if you met me and Emma, you'd be like, never let them be in the military because they're useless. And where was that one filmed? That was in Bulgaria, um, which was really cool. Bulgaria is a beautiful country. Why did they film it in Bulgaria? It's a science fiction. They could have filmed it anywhere. It's mostly sets. There's no location stuff. Well, the sets in Bulgaria, there's like a whole, there's like a mini Hollywood in Bulgaria. So they've got like old American streets and there's, uh, we, we found them. So we went on like a Zoom, a Zoom, a Doom, from Doom to Zoom, a Doom like chat, like photo shoot where we were all in costume and we were like in, this, in these like old American streets and there's like a whole like Western village. And it's actually a really cool place to film. A lot of films film there. Is that right? There was one bit that looked like it was a because I'm an I used to be an air conditioning engineer before I got into broadcasting, and there's a bit I'm like, oh, that's a plant room. They're electric pump. That wasn't was that some kind of um... that was that was an old abandoned factory, right? Um, and it was like 
it was this huge place and there was like packs of wild dogs going around. So I was like, whenever I had to go somewhere, I was like, can someone come with me please? Like with all my guns on, like, I mean, I really need some help to go to like find the trailers. And so our trailers were like all parked in this place and then we'd walk in and it was actually so hot that day. But yeah, I think it was this old factory that had just been sort of decked out with these really sort of cool space-like air conditioning units apparently. Well, there's definitely chilled water pumps in there, Gemma. Gemma Moore, my special guest next week on the Pod 20. And what will happen on the podcast radio chart next week? Will the good, the bad and the rugby still be at number one? Will Shagged Married Annoyed go back to the top? Will your favourite podcast be at number one? Find out with me, Graham Mack, and influence the chart by making a recommendation at thepodcastradio.co.uk. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery and I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.